Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I'm so glad that you're here with me today. This is the first guest interview of season five, and it is a good one. I loved this conversation with today's guest, Shay Mason. We talk all about her new book, Rest for the Weary, and friends, it is an apt word for today. In her book and in today's podcast, Shay talks about her history of dealing with anxiety, how the Lord has met her there and healed her of a lot of it, and she gives encouragement for those of us who also might struggle with anxiety or maybe just feel a little weary. Shay has such a heart for the Lord and it is contagious. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Shay, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell a little bit about yourself, your family, your ministry. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jenny. It's really a pleasure to be talking with you. And um, yeah, so I um, live in North Carolina and I uh, work with my husband, who is an Anglican pastor, and we run a ministry called Love Inside Out which is really an in-reach ministry to the body of Christ. Um, just working in church leadership for a number of years and various capacities, we've just seen a lot of the sort of the carnage that exists in the body of Christ. Um, the broken, broken people that are not really experiencing the fullness of God's love, not experiencing the, the abundance that really is available to them the peace, you know, just all of the fruit of the spirit that should be on some level evident in our lives. And, and just the brokenness really, it breaks our hearts. We've seen it in the mission field. We've seen it um, in churches that we've worked in. And we just really have a heart for the bride of Christ and to bring healing to individual hearts, um, to help leaders who are struggling. Um, We've walked through it ourselves, um, pastoring, churches before where you just feel like there's nowhere you can turn um, when something goes wrong or when you're dealing with your own trauma or, you know, whatever struggles come your way, just to have somebody who can pray with you and listen and support you. And so that's really a large portion of what we try to do in our ministry. That is really neat. And I know that this is a great fit for my podcast because, you know, my podcast is all about encouraging the weary. So, mm-hmm. so segue, you wrote a book called Rest for the Weary, and I am really excited to talk to you about it. So one of the things that I really found to be inspirational is that instead of just making like a how-to guide or something like that, you really used your own story to talk about what the Lord's healing looks like, especially for anxiety. So I wondered if you could share a little bit of that story with us today. Yeah, definitely. Um, fear and anxiety are something that I, I dealt with for many years. And I mean, I, I considered myself a fairly happy child. I wasn't bound by fear all the time. And I had, you know, parents at home who loved me. And I didn't really realize what some of the roots of my fear were until much later. Um, But I I do realize now, looking back, that um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which I have struggled with, um, and thankfully I'm largely free from now, um, began 
probably when I was about eight years old and it was, it was isolated to, uh, my father was a police officer and I had overheard somebody say that statistically Friday evenings were the most dangerous times for police officers. I don't know if that's true today. I don't even know if it was true then, but I heard somebody say that and it kind of got into my head. And so every Friday night when my dad would work the four to midnight shift, my mom would take me to dance class. We'd have dinner. We'd come home. We'd watch TV. I enjoyed spending, you know, kind of girls night with my mom. But as soon as we get home and start watching TV, I would start thinking about my dad and I would think, I hope he's okay. How can I know he's okay? And I would get up and go to the window every 10 minutes or so. And, you know, I would make up excuses to say to my mom, I'd be like, oh, I'm getting up to get a snack. Oh, where did the cat go? Oh, I'm going to go wash my hands. Like just whatever I could say so she wouldn't think I was acting strangely. And I didn't know that was obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I just, it was something that I did on Friday nights. And I would, I would stand at the window until I was convinced there wasn't a car coming down the street to deliver bad news. And then I would go back to the living room and carry on and I would keep doing this. And then eventually I would go to bed at some point, but I remember I would lie awake until I heard the garage door open sometime after midnight and I would know that he was home safely. And this went on for years and I didn't think too much of it. I mean, eventually I went on to college, wasn't dealing with those same fears anymore, being away from home. But then after I got married and had my own children, it was like this obsessive compulsive thing just reared its ugly head in a terrible way as a new mom fearing for my child, fearing that I wasn't going to be a good mom. I would do something horrible and cause harm to my child. Just the the fears wouldn't stop. It was like this constant recording in my head. And I, I felt completely powerless um, to get outside of that mentality. Yeah. You know, reading that in your book and also you talking about it right, right now reminds me as a counselor, uh, and having had my own children as well. It seems to me that postpartum depression is real, but it's less talked about that postpartum anxiety is real. And for me, it really did rear its ugly head as anxiety more so than depression. I mean, I had fatigue, obviously, because we all have fatigue when we're raising newborns, but, <laughs> but there is an anxiety that can rear its ugly head too. And that definitely happened with you, it sounds like. Yeah, it really did. And it just, I mean, I was dealing with depression as well. But it was, I would say it was the OCD that I just, it was shocking and shameful to me. Mm. I remember trying to, to hide it because I just, I knew that wasn't me, but I had no way to control it. Here I am. I'm stuck in this control cycle, trying to control everything. I'm like, but I can't control this. I can't control my thoughts. And for me, the, there were a number of obsessive compulsive type behaviors, but the really horrible one that took hold for quite a long time with both of my children was fear of lead paint. And, you know, it sounds crazy now, but at the time we lived in an old house and I was super fatigued. You know, I hadn't had a good night's sleep in months and you know, sleep deprivation is no joke. No, and my husband, my husband had to go away um, on a ministry trip for, he was gone for about a week. And I remember trying to 
have everything planned out. I was going to be the good mom. I was going to have, you know, the play dates lined up. I knew exactly which parks we were going to go to. I was going to get it all right. And that was, I mean, for me, it was really, that was an identity struggle. I felt like I had to be the perfect mom, which I, I now understand is, is a lie. But at the time I thought if I, if I just sort it all out and I plan everything, the week will go fine and I won't have any problems. And then my husband will be back. It'll all be okay. Somewhere in the middle of that week, I, my daughter was napping. She wasn't a great napper ever, but she was briefly napping. And I picked up a popular parenting book and I just read a section about being aware of lead paint. It wasn't like I didn't know about lead paint before that, but it was like something broke in my brain in that moment. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified that I had already probably poisoned my child because our house was built in 1819. And I started looking at the windowsills and all of the walls and the floor and, oh my goodness, my daughter's crawling and I haven't been washing her hands enough and I haven't wiped off the windowsills and all of these things. And I called the pediatrician's office just completely unglued, you know, demanding to get her tested. And, and she was fine, of course, but I thought that would end the fears. And it didn't because then I thought, okay, well, she's fine now, but I have to keep controlling this because if, if I don't take control, she won't be fine six months down the road or a year down the road. And then that took over when my son was born as well. So it was, it was about four years of my life that I was dealing with that. And, you know, there were other, other fears that tried to take hold as well, but I, I tried so hard. I, I tried all the things to beat it back down. And I, I had a terrific therapist and she really did help. She really gave me a, a lifeline. Um, she gave me coping mechanisms, but I still couldn't manage to push it all the way down. And we ended up moving overseas. So I then wasn't able to see, this is in the days before Zoom, I couldn't see my therapist anymore. So I felt like, okay, well, it's my job. I have to fix this. I'm going to keep doing the things that she suggested, which included really meditating on scripture, which is always great. Um, you know, I carried around little note cards with passages that I had chosen that were encouraging and helpful, but I felt like I was constantly failing. And I thought, what is so broken in me that I can't believe these things for myself? And I can remember sitting in a, a small group Bible study at our church in England, where we lived at the time. And somebody saying that they didn't understand why Christians just couldn't accept God's word and move on. And I felt so condemned and I just felt like, don't, like, don't you see me? Like I'm trying, I'm trying so hard to believe all of these things. And it was, it was sometime around then that God really showed me that what was going on in my mind was a product of what was going on in my heart. And that was a pretty big revelation for me. Um, I still thought that I could make myself believe certain things. And I was pretty hard on myself. But I remember being at a women's retreat one weekend and just being on my hands and knees and just saying, God, take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. 
um, from Ezekiel. And that just became my heart cry. Like I knew that my heart was hard and I, and, and he didn't, it wasn't like God showed it to me in a condemning way at all. It was just a reality. And so I just started praying for that hard work to be done. And little by little, he began to soften my heart. And I began to receive in my heart the truth that I'd been trying to force into my head. And I really, I mean, it, it was a process. This isn't like it happened overnight, like, wham, I was well. It was really just learning to abide, learning to rest, learning to have grace for myself and trusting that God knew me better than I knew myself and that he loved me more than I was loving myself and to really surrender to him, to the one who is love. That is so neat. Thank you for sharing that. So OCD is actually known as the doubting disease because it hits different people in different ways, in different areas of their life, in different thought patterns, whatever. But across any of them, what is always true is that you doubt your own mind. Like, I know that this isn't really true. My logical self knows this isn't really true, but I feel like I need to go back and check anyway. Or I, like the doctor told you, it, it's fine. She's fine. So that should have been logical proof, but your brain couldn't let it go. And so it's really interesting then that the doubting kind of went into God's word as well. Like, I know that this is true, but I'm not feeling it right now which all of us struggle with that, whether or not we have OCD. That's the truth. And Shay, this is an apt word for this season. I feel like especially, I'm sure you know, mental health issues have risen dramatically through the pandemic, through isolation, through like, as John Eldridge says, our reserves have been used up. We don't have any more. And so we're using our reserves. And so rest for the weary is... Uh, it just makes me feel held. I mean, when I think about abide, isn't that what it really is like to hold on and to be held? And so, yeah, so you're, this is a really great conversation for this moment in time and a really great book for this moment in time too. And I know a lot of my listeners understand what it's like to have anxiety and what, what, what a difficult season that can be, especially when it's at its worst. Definitely. And and there's no reason to feel alone. That's the thing that really breaks my heart is that so many Christians feel like they have to struggle alone. And, and we're not alone. We are, we, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we also have the body of Christ. And we really should support each other in this. And I feel so strongly about that. Yeah, me too. So I'm wondering, as you're talking about that group that you're a part of in England and what somebody said and how you took that. Um, I'm wondering what are some of the misperceptions that you've experienced in the past in struggling with anxiety that maybe Christians or people in the church are teaching about anxiety or think about anxiety. I feel like there can be some misunderstandings when it comes to that. Definitely. I mean, I feel like there's, there's certainly the idea that if you struggle with doubt, um, you just, you know, you need to step into a deeper place of faith and that you're double-minded. And, and I was, I was told that by someone who was very well-meaning, you know, and there was a part of me that said, yeah, I am double-minded, <laughs> but 
I took it on then as an identity. It was like, oh, well, I guess that's just who I am. And honestly, and this just, it's terrible, but I really even started to doubt that I was saved. Because I thought if I can't get over this doubt and this double-mindedness, goodness, maybe I didn't even really choose Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus loves me and he doesn't want me to be like this. So maybe I'm not really following him or maybe my faith isn't strong enough. I mean, there are all sorts of things that I would tell myself. But even even now, I find so many Christians who are struggling in this area and they feel like going to see a therapist is failure. Having to go on antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication for a time is failure. Um, There's a lot of things where we just put that label of failure on ourselves, and that's not how God sees us. And one of the things that I've, I've really come to know is that, you know, head head knowledge is not the same as heart understanding. And I think that that's one of the things that gets really mixed up in the church, and it can be confusing for those of us who struggle with doubt. And I tried for so long to get the things I, I tend to be more of a academic intellectual type person. So I'm very much in my head. I always have been. So I just becoming a Christian while I was in college, when I was 19, I thought, okay, I just have to learn this stuff. I'm going to learn what the Bible says. I'm going to learn all the doctrine. I'm going to get it right. And then the church often tells us it'll go from our head to our heart. And I kept waiting for that to happen. And people would have all sorts of different ideas about why that wasn't happening. And honestly, what I experienced when things finally did change was that it had absolutely nothing to do with my head. (laughs) It was like God's love just penetrated my heart in a way that I couldn't make sense of. I didn't have words for it for a couple of weeks, which was probably a good thing. But I, I was put in this position where I knew that I had experienced his love in a way that I never had before. And I just had to, to stay in that place and ponder it. And, and my husband noticed the change. Like he would say that after this happened to me, he went to bed one night with one woman and woke up with another. He will literally say that. Because I went from being someone who was very closed off in my heart. And, and that, that's another thing in the church. I think that oftentimes we don't give enough credibility to our emotions and our heart condition. And so I didn't see it as a problem for a long time that I wasn't emotional, that I'd shut those things off. And so I was someone who's like, don't touch me, don't hug me. Like I was just very... <laughs> you could probably say cold in many areas of my life. And when I encountered God's love in my heart, I literally the next day was walking up to people that people that I knew, but people we did ministry with and going, I need to give you a hug. And they were like, Whoa, what happened to you? Who are you? And my husband's watching this going, yeah, what happened to you? And I was like, I just suddenly, it was like this overflow happened in me, you know, because first John 419 says we love because he first loved us. So I was trying to love and minister 
from what was essentially an empty well until I really received from him. And then I went, oh, oh, that's different. That's ministering from a different place. And the best way that I can describe it is like, I went for years with fear and anxiety being sort of the foundation that I lived from. And every now and then I would have joy or peace bubble up, but it didn't last. I'm like, oh, that's different. What's that? And then poof, it was gone. And we'd go back mm-hmm. to the fear and anxiety. So almost like they were like the glasses that you saw the world. Through. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's a really great way to, to describe it. And so, yeah, I saw everything through a lens of fear. And then when God's love entered in, it was like suddenly, 1 John four eighteen, that verse There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. It all made sense to me. I was living in a place before where I felt like all I deserved was punishment because I was a failure. I was a doubter. All of these labels that I put on myself. And suddenly I went, oh, that's not who I am. He actually loves me. And And the fear just, you know, it's not like I don't ever experience fear or anxiety. No, I'm human. We all do. But instead of the foundation or the lens being the fear and anxiety, suddenly I was operating from a different place of joy and peace. And now when fear and anxiety rear their heads, it's not part of my normal landscape anymore. And I can see it for what it is. And I can say, okay, what's going on here? What's the root of this fear? What's the root of this anxiety? And it's, it's so freeing you know, to operate from a different place that's not starting from fear and anxiety. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what my listeners might be hearing and what they might be thinking about your story. Mm. And on the one hand, it sounds very hopeful because I hear what you're saying. And that is that you can't like uh, white knuckle your way out of anxiety. It doesn't really work that way. In other words, the Lord came and gave you a different lens and met you in the middle of the pit where you were and changed everything from there. And so I'm wondering for people who are like, okay, great. What's the prescription? Like, uh-huh. how am I going to make that happen? Like I need God to meet me and have that happen. Um, I'm sure people have asked you that before. And, and I've had a moment that was similar to that, not with fear and anxiety necessarily, but with an eating disorder where mm-hmm. it was like in one moment, the Lord broke me free Wow. Not that all the thoughts went away right away because they didn't. That's not how it works. So even miracles take long sometimes, but um, but things changed. That was like a changing point. So when he meets you, he meets you. But you can't like prescribe when that's going to be or what that's going to look like or any of that. Do you have any words of encouragement or hope for people about that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would just say be patient with yourself. And everybody's different. Everyone is unique and God knows and loves our unique qualities. So, you know, the journey is going to look different for everyone. You know, I will sometimes when we're, we're teaching with groups, I'll say, well, you know, it was about 10 years for me. And then people say, goodness gracious, I don't want to have to deal with this for 10, 10 more years, but that's not everybody's story. You know, that's, that's my story. And, and God knew that he had to handle me gently and he did. My husband's story is very different. His was much more of like a roller coaster. 
and he, and he had some very serious um, physical allergies, um, life-threatening stuff that um, God really intervened in his life in a, in a huge way with those. And when we struggle with physical issues, there's fear attached to that as well. But my husband's journey was so different. So, I mean, that's the first thing is that I would say, you know, don't, don't expect your journey to look like anyone else's. God knows you. He knows your heart. That's right. And, you know, give yourself grace. And most importantly, just take that time to just find heart connection, to abide and to just continue to go deeper, you know, and, and it's okay if you're standing in that, that place, Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah. We all stand in that place sometimes. Cause that's honest. It and is. God loves honesty. Exactly. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't know. We don't have to hide anything from him. And there's no shame in struggling with this. And that was something that he really showed to me um, and really lifted that shame. But I think that just taking time to discover how much he loves you, to, to spend time not with an agenda. You know, I used to be like, oh, well, if I'm not getting up at 5 a.m. and having my quiet time before the kids are up, well, I've failed. Okay, I now know that I am not a 5 a.m. Bible study girl. I'm just not. I'm never going to be that way. And that's okay. If I'm taking time at three o'clock in the afternoon over a cup of tea or after the kids go to bed or, you know, however I'm encountering the Lord, singing worship songs in my car, it doesn't matter to him. It's the it's what's in the heart that matters. And so just taking that time to be intentional with discovering how he loves us. And, that, and there's so many ways that we can do that. And I mean, for me, I love to dance. I am not a dancer at all. So I don't do this in front of other people, but I do it alone. And I feel completely free just putting on worship music and dancing alone with the Lord. And I feel like he really speaks to me through that. So it, it can look like a million different things, but find the thing that gives you joy something that brings you back to a place of childlikeness. Thank you. That is perfect. Perfect. I think we have a lot in common because I love dancing too. <laughs> Not in front of other people, <laughs> but yeah, I do for sure. Okay. So speaking of things we have in common, you are a fellow podcaster. Would you like to talk about that? How did you guys get started with your podcast? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, am what I would call a reluctant podcaster at first. Um, yeah, through our ministry, we have my, my husband just kept saying that he felt like we needed to have a, a different component. Like I love to write. He actually, he was an English major before he studied theology and he loves to write as well. So we'd kind of gone in that direction, but he said, no, I really think we need to have a, an actual voice. And he started talking about podcasting and I thought, oh, there's so many podcasts out there. How could ours be relevant? And and I've always felt like I would much rather write than speak, much more comfortable with that. So I even said to him, I'm like, you do your own podcast. And then we had two people who work for us who were super enthusiastic about the podcast idea. And so they jumped in head first and they said, come on, we can't do this without you. And all right, we'll give it a try. And we, we recorded our first three episodes and I thought, 
this is really fun. I really enjoyed just sitting around my kitchen table with three people, including my husband, that I love and trust, and just having deep discussions with them about what it really means for the body of Christ to live from that place of love that we are all called into, the place where we are called to dwell and to minister from, and just what that looks like. So we take it, you know, different topics each each episode, which we put out about every two weeks. Um, everything from suffering we did this week, suffering and grief, to um, we've we interviewed um, and my husband's mentor who runs a healing ministry in Virginia Beach, um, someone that we hadn't seen in years, but we drove up to Virginia Beach and did an interview with him. Uh, just all sorts of things that are related to loving each other well. Mm-hmm. What's the name of it? It's called What If We Loved? And that's the primary question we deal with in each episode. I wanted to make sure you said the name so people could go and look for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you guys go check out that podcast. Um, So I love to ask my guests if there's a particular scripture that either is just a lifelong Mm -hmm. passage for you, or if there's one that the Lord is really speaking in your life right now. Yeah, I would have to say that, um, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, 1 John 4, 18 through 19, just the the idea of being filled with love and and the impact that has on us, Um, but also Paul's prayer for the Ephesians um, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, I just absolutely love that. And I keep coming back to it. I feel like I've been stuck on it for about a year. There's just, there's so much there. Um, the idea of being rooted and grounded in love. And it, it fits perfectly with with our ministry and, and what we're doing. And that we feel that so much of the church has kind of missed out on that that grounding. So then to ask the question, if we really were rooted and grounded in that love, as Paul prays for the Ephesians, what would that look like? And I just love it. It's such a Trinitarian prayer. You have Father, you have Son, you have Holy Spirit, all included in that prayer. And it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful image that I, I love to, to pray over people. And when my husband and I go and do conferences, we will often start with that and pray that over whatever the church is that we're ministering at. I, you know, I love that passage and it's come up multiple times for me this year as well. In fact, I was doing, <laughs> I was doing a 30 days of Christian yoga that a friend asked me to do with her oh. and I didn't make it all the way through. I'm just being honest, but, <laughs> um, but the, the ones I did were really beneficial. And that was one of her scripture meditations that she did was on that. And so it made me really go back to that quite a few times and really meditate on that passage because it's so beautiful. And we want so badly to be grounded, especially when we're anxious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And being rooted and grounded in that love, it's, it is the remedy in a sense for so many of the things that we're experiencing in the world right now, the fears and the anxieties and the isolation and just Yeah. I mean, so many people are in a rough place and and that's why I just, I love that prayer. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to close us out by talking about soul care because that is a big thing I like to talk about on this podcast. And I love to ask my guests what they're doing for their own soul care right now, because your thing is all about resting. 
especially. I'm wondering, what are you doing right now to care for yourself? And what does rest look like for you right now? Hmm. I feel like rest takes a lot of different forms for me. And it's, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's abiding. And so we can be resting, doing a lot of different things. But one of the things that I've discovered in the last couple years is just, we can have fun with God and we can have adventures with him. And I I was really, really blessed in 2017. And this is where one of my major breakthroughs with fear happened. Um, My husband and I did a a three-month ministry school in New Zealand. And it was designed where there was teaching in the mornings up through lunch, a lot of community engagement. You ate meals with everyone else in the school. But then your afternoons were completely free to sleep, (laughs) study scripture, hike, go to the beach, whatever you wanted to do. And I just, I really came to love just adventuring with God and saying, okay, what, what can we do today? And just letting him show me things that he wanted to experience with me. And I realized not everyone can take three months and go off to an island off the coast of New Zealand. It was a little unusual. It was, it was amazing. Although leaving my kids behind for three months, that, that was a struggle when I got there. But um, just taking that time to, to just be still, whatever that looks like. And there were some days where it was just a nap. And there were other days where it was climbing to a mountain peak by myself and just listening to waves. And sometimes it was getting to know other people better and to hear their hearts. Um, so there's, there's a million different ways that we can do that, I think. But I mean, for me right now, this year, I will say has been really, really hard. Um, losing my father recently and mm. both of my husband's parents. Um, we've just, we've been through it and we've had to be super intentional about just making space, even in our ministry time um, and not feeling that we have to say yes to every request um, to have those healthy boundaries um, just because we have to allow ourselves time to grieve and space to just be with Jesus and let him comfort us. Um, so yeah, I just really being gentle with myself during this time. And, you know, sometimes that looks like a cup of tea, which is what I have going on right now. <laughs> and sometimes it looks like a long walk with the dog, but just not forcing myself to check all the boxes on my to-do list and being okay with that. I think it's really important. Yes. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Okay. Shay, where can people find you all the places and your book? Um, well, my book, um, as we mentioned, is called rest for the weary and it's available on Amazon as well as other major retailers. So, um, you know, if you prefer Barnes and Noble or Target or, christianbooks.com they it's on all of them um i do have a blog which is shaysmason.com it is um it's called the spacious place and it's just really where i reflect on my journey and encountering god and um it's fairly topical um at this point i put something up once or twice a month um but i've been doing that for a few years so 
There's a lot of articles on there. And then our ministry, um, as we mentioned, the the podcast is What If We Loved, and that's on all the major platforms. Um, yeah, so we're out there on that. And then our ministry is loveinsideout.org. And we also have um, blog space on there as well. As, in addition to information about how to have us come to your church, if you're looking for speakers, um, we're open to doing ministry pretty much anywhere. Um, love to travel. We've done a lot of ministry even in Southeast Asia and Africa and um, just love to go where the body needs encouragement. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Shay, it has been great to have you on the podcast, and I'm so thankful that you were here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a joy, and um, I know you're here in North Carolina, right? Yes. Maybe someday we can actually meet up. That would be really fun. We're almost like neighbors. Yep. That's right. Not too far. Thanks again, Shay, for being on today's podcast episode. I so enjoy getting to talk with you, and I hope we get to chat again soon. Friends, if you enjoyed hearing today's podcast episode and you'd like to hear more of Shay's story, I really encourage you to check out her book, Rest for the Weary, Finding Freedom from Fear in the Heart of the Father. Friends, I'm so glad to be back for season five. It is fun to be with you again. You can look for a guest interview at the first Tuesday of every month. And on the in-between weeks, we'll be doing soul care reflection episodes, which are shorter 10 to 15 minute episodes where we cover a topic regarding scripture or soul care or some element of faith or mental health. There will be a new episode every Tuesday. And you can find this podcast on any podcasting platform. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you don't miss an episode. You can also find me on Facebook or Instagram at Pause Renew Next. Well, that's all for today's podcast episode. Thanks for joining me, friends. I look forward to meeting you here again next Tuesday. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.